0: Well it is great to be here. Um, It's been a while since I've been here. I think the last time I was here we were talking about it. It was on a Wednesday night and um, just want to say right from the beginning, thank you so much for supporting us and it's really a great privilege to be here with you. Uh, My task is twofold. I'd like to introduce you to my family and ministry and also uh, share from God's Word. What a great introduction. Wasn't that great? The music? It really set my heart right and got me even more excited for what I'm going to share with you. But uh, for right now, um, I would like to introduce you to our family. And so I keep looking back. Modern technology. There we are. Excuse my surprise expression. I'm really not that surprised. But um, there we are as a whole. And um, we'll start with the youngest on the next slide. There's Josiah. He's about 20 months. There. He's a handful. He, is, um, he has turned from the cuddly stage to the wild man stage. For those of you who are living that right now, we sympathize with you. And so that's Josiah. And then we have Caleb with his friend Orlando at his favorite place, Pizza Hut. They say it a little different in Spanish, but it still exists in Honduras. And so there he is with his best friend Orlando. A little story about Orlando. Uh, He's a fellow I uh, work with on a regular basis, and we're talking to Caleb about God, and he says, I I don't think I like God. Why? Why don't you like God? He says, well, I like Orlando. Orlando's a very special person to Caleb. And then we have Anna, our daughter Anna, our only daughter, and something that Carl and I share, and, and it's a very special person. And then... Last but not least, my travel buddy, who looks, is he still, yeah, it's my travel buddy here. That's Isaiah. One of the things I've learned about Isaiah on this trip is that he's a great traveler. We had the epic journey to the States. It's, you know, the kind that start one day and it's supposed to finish that day, but it really doesn't finish that day. It it finishes the following day. And so he stood by my side as I talked to the customer care people with the airlines uh, for long hours and and he was fine. So that was one of the, you know, you learn things about your kids when you travel with them. Something else I learned about my son is that he really likes the dessert bar at those at those buffet places, you know. He loves that. And so we're having a great time. We're fishing. We're walking in the woods. We're, we're eating dessert bars and uh, just having a good time. Now a little bit about what we're doing. And so... Um, what is it like in Ocotepeque, our part of Honduras? You know, a lot of people, when they think about Honduras, they think of jungles, and they're surprised to learn that the uh, the national tree is a pine tree. This doesn't seem to go with the image that the country has. But as far as the area that I'm in, I'd like to just show you a, some a few scenes from what I see on a regular basis. And it is a place where agriculture is king. It is very agricultural. Everybody grows something. Uh, the white sacks that you see in the distance are sacks of potatoes, and, and they grow potatoes, they grow cabbage, they grow carrots, they grow coffee, they grow tomatoes, they grow lots of different things. Beans and corn, of course. It, I guess you might not know that, but that kind of goes without saying. And most of the people I, I talk to have something to do in some way with agriculture, uh, here's a, the next scene is going to be a, a typical scene from a porch and so I don't, does your front porch look like that <laughs> if, if your front porch looks like that you're probably scared and uh, but this is a real common common scene sacks of corn seed corn drying and um, and so it's it's very much a common scene from from what I see every day so how am I going about the ministry? Um, I'm working in small rural communities, and the strategy that I've adopted is to work through the public schools. And so that has allowed me to, to get to know the communities in a, uh, in a, in a relatively safe way. and become a known quantity. And so I'm in roughly seven different schools on a weekly basis where I, I teach English. The, the way it's going this year is basically I'll teach English to them one year, the commodity that everybody wants. They want to learn to talk like you. And so and that do you feel impressed? there's a lot of people out there that want to speak English and so so uh, I try to teach them some conversational English and then the next week I get to teach a Bible lesson and so that's pretty exciting and so that's the way that we're approaching things this year and uh, there's a few more slides of, of, of students and and so this is a part of, of my regular schedule showing up at schools and and uh, and sharing a little bit of English and then, and then Bible lessons, the cards that they're holding up are, this is the Passover story right there in a place called Rio Chiquito. From there, I, I visit people in their homes where we more in depth share the word, and there's a family there that I visit almost weekly, you know, where, we've, where we share the word, we share the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, and, and people are always grateful to hear God's word, if all the world was that way, you know. But Honduras is a special place in that in that regard that, that people are very open to God's word. They appreciate God's word. It's a special time. When you show up in, I can think of several different places that I show up during the week, everything stops. Everyone, the chairs are gathered. We're going to hear from this Protestant, even though we're Catholic, we're going to hear from this Protestant because this is God's word, just as a song, ancient word. They want to hear God's word. And so it's my privilege to be there and, and uh, try to make progress uh, along those lines. My ministry, by and large, is to unbelievers. These are people that, that are, are somewhere in the process of accepting or rejecting. And so, and so I continue. And I think the next slide, if I'm not mistaken, well, another one, but we'll get there. This is another group. This is in La Borsita. The other place was in El Chorro, and uh, just a sampling of, of, of what we do. A lot more pictures could be there, but but the idea uh, is clear that that are just visiting people in their homes and sharing God's word with them. And this final slide, I'm pretty sure this time it is the cute little girl. She's a cutie. I thought you would I thought you would respond like that because she she really is cute. And what I think about when I see her is. What kind of family is she going to grow up in? You know, what, what kind of message is she going to hear? What kind of parents is she going to have? And, and I had the privilege of being part of the transportation for her birth, getting mom to the hospital and then getting them back. And um, I think, I look at her and I think, will you follow the Lord? Will you get a chance to hear God's message in a clear way, respond to the gospel, and then be instructed in his ways, a privilege that many of you have had, and that's really the heart of what I'm trying to do, trying to see that the gospel is established in these different communities so that families can be changed and, and and greater impact can be had through in the area and ultimately to the world. Well, we've had the privilege of having one DBC member in our home uh, on a frequent basis. Don Flager has been to to see us a number of times, and uh, it's been a joy to have him as a part of our our ministry there as our area director. I think he's coming down in June. I, I don't think we have a, a firm date, but we're working on it. I expect to see him later in the year. Probably you expect to see him next week, but, but anyway, he's, he's coming soon to a missionary's house not so near you, but... <laughs> But this morning, we're going to be talking about Elijah. I'm not going to talk begin talking about him immediately. I want to talk about one of those strange things in the Bible, those strange things that we come across when we're reading. We read it and we think, that's weird. I don't know if that's happened to you as you're reading the Bible. I hope you're reading your Bible. But sometimes you come across something you you think, that can't be right. That can't be right. Um, what I have in mind at this moment is Luke chapter 16. Now, I know, I know you're rushing to your Bible. Don't go there. If you want to go someplace, go to 1 Kings chapter 19. But I'm going to talk just a minute about Luke chapter 16. And one of the, the famous things from that text is the, the account of the rich man and Lazarus. I and mean, you remember that, that Lazarus was a poor man and had, was everything that the rich man wasn't. Uh, uncomfortable and hungry, and the rich man was comfortable and not hungry, full. They both die. One goes to hell and is suffering. The other is in Abraham's bosom. The man, the rich man in hell, starts to think about his relatives and concocts a plan. If Lazarus can come back and and, and talk to my relatives, then maybe they won't come here. And Abraham says to him, well... They have Moses. They have the prophets. And if they won't hear what we already have, what they already have, and we're talking about these these ancient words, then it won't make a difference if Lazarus goes back, even though he was dead and and comes back as this resurrected witness to the life beyond. It just doesn't work that way. And I think, how can that be? I don't know if you had that reaction, but how can that be? Something so spectacular... Not be as convincing as as we think it should be, and I, I can I can truly say so many times I've been in people's presence and 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 had wished for the power to just make my Bible levitate, you know, if I could just make it rise up in front of them and say, "See, it's true. The gospel that I'm preaching to you is the true gospel." It hasn't happened yet. I, I'm I'm really kidding. I, I don't try to, but but. You know, the, to have some spectacular means to prove something to somebody. It's, I think maybe we've, we've been in a situation, a frustrating conversation, where we thought, if, if, I had, if I had some better tool, I could somehow get there. And that's a pretty surprising thing. Well, we're going to be looking at the life of Elijah, the Old Testament prophet, and there's something equally amazing or surprising about his life. And that was that he got depressed. You think, how could somebody who... Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. I think we should, I think we should just spend a little bit of time reading about him from, from 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 1. And it says, Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and even more if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And he was afraid and arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey Into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die, and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my father's. He lay down and slept under a juniper tree, and behold, there was an angel touching him, and he said to him, Arise, eat. And then he looked, and behold, there was at his head a bread cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then he came there to a cave and lodged there, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. So he said, Go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by, and a great and strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And, and after the fire's sound, a, a sound of a gentle blowing. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Then he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with a sword, and I alone am left. And they seek my life to take it away. The Lord said to him, Go return your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you have arrived, you shall anoint Hazael, king of Aram, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Ebel-Meholah, You shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall come about, the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael, Jehu shall put to death. And the one who escapes the sword of Jehu, Elijah shall put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Let's pray a minute together. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for the, the life that you've given us and you, and Lord, I, I just ask that uh, you would encourage us from your word as we as we think about Elijah and and uh, what he faced, and and then consider what we're facing. The encouragement that you gave him and and the encouragement that you're willing to give us, Lord. I pray for those here that are discouraged, that are struggling in this moment, and I just ask that you would help them and that you would allow me to speak clearly and. And uh, be a part of that process, Lord. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, verse eight tells us that Elijah went to Mount Horeb after running. He's, he, Elijah did a lot of running in his ministry. And running's a good thing, but it's 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 not it's not so comfortable to run for your life but he went to Mount Horeb, also Mount Sinai. It might be in your Bible as Mount Sinai. It's the same place. And you think about places that you could go to. He, he chose a place that couldn't be any more special as far as the history of God's people. He went to the place where God made the mountain burn and, and where Moses saw the burning bush and where the, the law was first received. And, and so he went to a very special place, and he ends up in a cave. Strangely enough, I've been in a cave in my brief stay here, and caves might be an interesting place to visit, but it's not a place that you want to live. At least, it's not a place that I would like to live. And it's a place that Elijah had avoided up to this point. Other prophets had stayed in caves, uh, Obadiah, who we'll mention in passing, had hid fifty prophets in one cave. Can you imagine fifty guys in one cave? Yeah, fifty guys in another cave. And, but Elijah had avoided all of that. And as he comes there and, and begins to have this conversation with God, I, I have two questions that that arise in my mind. Questions that are unanswered in the text. It's only that. As we look at it, we can kind of form our own opinion about that. I invite you to do the same. But the questions would be, did Elijah actually want to hear from God? I think the place he chose suggests that perhaps he did. But I I think there was probably a part of him that did not. The other question I have is, did he already have this answer prepared ahead of time? Like, I know God is going to ask me some questions. I know I have to state my case, so to speak, and, and, and the fact that he says the same thing twice would would suggest probably that he did have it prearranged, but it is kind of curious, you know, anticipating a conversation but not really wanting to have it, and I know that one thing is clear, what, there might be some things that aren't clear. One thing that is very clear is that God thought it was important to confront Elijah in his running, in his running from him. And does it not seem strange, for those of you who know a little bit about the story of Elijah, that a man who could, who could call down fire upon the sacrifice, a man who could, who could pray and it would rain, a man who was sustained by ravens, a man who was sustained by the magical refilling of the jar of oil, So many things God had done for him and through him. Suddenly, hears Jezebel say, "I'm going to kill you," and that just sent him in a flight. Just that means run. You know how does that mean run for somebody who had experienced so much? And I think it's reasonable to say that there was more to it than just Jezebel. There was something more going on than just this threat of, of uh, the First Lady, the, the Queen, saying that his life was in danger. I truly believe that he was running from what God wanted him to do in life. That is, the prophet business. I think he was just tired of being a prophet. And but it is important just to consider the fact that God wasn't satisfied to, to allow him to just continue because God needed to speak to this, to this prophet so that he could return to usefulness, just like he needs to speak to us when we run to get us to turn back so that we can fulfill the purposes that God has for us in our life. And if God speaks, it is with a purpose. I think we can all agree upon that. If God decides that he wants to ask a question, it's an important question. God certainly doesn't waste words. And God placing uncomfortable questions in the life of a person is is not the sign of judgment, but the sign of God's mercy. God's mercy, God's pursuing an individual and placing Difficult questions in their heart and mind, calling them back. Because in Romans chapter 1, it says very clearly that, that for, for those who go so far, God gives them over. Doesn't, doesn't bother them with right or wrong. He lets them go and that's their punishment in part. And so, and so God speaking to us, through his word and, and, and placing difficult questions in our life is a sign that God cares. Now, pain and frustration are very real. And they happen to godly people as it happened to to Elijah. He wanted to die. And not to not to make light of that. In fact, we're going to talk quite a bit about that. But those things were keeping Elijah from, from being useful. They, be, they had become an obstacle, and, and something had to be done about it. And I would suggest the same thing is true in our life. Pain is real. Frustration is real. But they can grow to a point to where we become cave dwellers and, and not willing to go out and face reality and the, the reality that God has called us to face, and that, that is a problem. And that's when something has to happen. But let's think a little bit about how Elijah came to that meeting. Elijah came to this meeting with God with a ton of evidence that God was very much concerned about him. Did you notice the part about the bread baked on the rocks and the jar of water and the angel touching him and saying, Arise, eat. The journey's too great for you. Rest. And he lays down and he rests. And and so God revealed His concern and legitimate need for rest. Have you noticed that there are people who believe that rest is illegitimate? That it is for those lazy people. Those people that just have no ambition in life. But the Bible talks an awful lot about rest. In fact, it seems to me that God dedicated a whole day to it. Right? So rest is important. And God acknowledges this in the life of his man. He says, rest, he lays down and he rests. And that's good. I guess there's a quick question. Do you need to rest? Is your life consuming you? Is it, is it, is it mastering you? It very well could be that you need to rest. And, um, it always marvels us coming from a, the country that we serve in and coming back and seeing how busy people are and, and how relaxed people are. I think the relaxedness of Honduras is, is, is a problem in many cases. But that doesn't mean that all the busyness is absolutely wonderful, that we have no time for ourselves, no time for our families. And when we ask the question why, well... It's, it's just kind of that way, and until it breaks, until the machine breaks, and then it's time for rest. Well, the machine will break. And it broke for Elijah, and he had to get rest. And God says, rest. And another thing that we can learn, just from the way God treated Elijah, is is that I think about this, and because I'm a, I'm a dad, and I... I uh, I, I can discipline at times more effectively than my wife. You know, she hits them on the bottom, and they turn and look at her, and sometimes they're looking like, "Did something happen?" You know, and so then, Fred. And so I come and inflict inflict something that provokes some tears, and and but but in all this, confronting wrong. If you're a parent, you you have to confront your kids with the wrong that they do, but something that God does with Elijah that's very important for all of us in that situation, whatever your situation is, is that we need to communicate love. We need to communicate that the person that we're dealing with is is extremely important. And you think about God, you think about the way God approaches sin. If you think about the fact that he's the creator... That makes him the boss. He's the absolute authority. And on that basis alone, he could confront men with their sin. And he does. But that's not all he does. He confronts men through the cross. And what does the cross communicate? It communicates God's love. He says, this is how much I love you. And we need to talk about your sin. God doesn't just say, change. He says, I love you. See how much I love you. Change. I think that's that's a really important point that we ought not miss. And so, he comes to Elijah and he asks him a question, which is, what are you doing here? And it's this question, more than anything else in the text, that, that points to me that Elijah was doing something other than the will of God. Because obviously... If it had been God's plan for him to be in the cage, the question—I mean, in the cave—it would have been unnecessary, superfluous, to ask, for God to ask him the question, "Why are you in the cave?" So the fact that God asked him the question, "What are you doing here?" points out the fact that that Elijah was in trouble. He was not—he was not doing the express will of God in this moment, and so. God focused on His purpose, and you're probably thinking of some of the other times that God has asked, que- God has asked questions. Think about Adam and Eve, where are you? Right? And some of you perhaps are thinking about Job, where, where, where God asked the question, where were you? Where were you when this happened? And can you do this? Can you do that? Now, do we really think that God didn't know the answer? Obviously, He does. And so if God asks a question, it's it's not for His benefit, it's but for the person He asked. The point was for Elijah to consider his steps and and answer the question for himself, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? And He knows the answer, but He asks for our our benefit. Now, I've already got souvenirs. You know, a a lot of you, when you go... To other countries, you pick up souvenirs, things that interest you, and already in my brief stay, I've picked up a souvenir that I wanted to share with you from your strange country, <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and uh, if it looks like a coffee cup, it's because it is, but my coffee cup at the house was, was wearing out. I am a coffee drinker and uh, very much enjoy coffee. We went fishing in a place called Potts Creek. Does anybody know Potts Creek? Anybody here of Potts Creek? Okay, a few people. We're fishing in a place called The Sinks. It's private property. My friend took me there. He's co-owner. And and so we're there fishing. And we just got done exploring the cave. And we're walking along. And lo and behold, my friend looks down and... Look at this. It's a coffee cup. One of those artifacts, you know. kind of Archaeologists... <laughs> We pick up the coffee cup and we go, wow. I said, he goes, you want it? I said, yeah, I want it. My coffee cup at home's falling apart. And, you know, I don't have to pay $15 now for a, a coffee cup. So, so I, I got, I got a great free souvenir. But, but the question in the car was, I wonder how in the world this coffee cup got here. You know, what was the story? Was, were, were, were some guys in their kayak or something, you know? There's not a lot of room to put coffee in a kayak, so probably not, you know. I don't know, maybe somebody was sitting out by the bank and, and got a call from the house and they left it there. I don't know, but there's this coffee cup there on the rocks and I picked it up. Well, I want to talk a little bit about Elijah and how he got to the cave. I think it's important that we kind of explore a little bit of how he got to the cave. and uh, So, his, his story really begins in chapter 17. And God sent him to Ahab to announce a drought, which he does. And then he has to run. And first God sends him to, to the creek and the ravens, the air supply brings brings him food each day. He's cared for by ravens. I bet you if we asked for a show of hands of people who've been sustained by ravens, I bet there would be no hands up. It's a unique experience. And then the creek dries up and God sends him to a widow who just so happens was gathering sticks out in front of uh, where her dwelling and the gates. And and so God uses this widow to care for him. And then God sends him back to Ahab after three and a half years of drought. And so his, his purpose in coming back is to announce rain is coming. And first he meets Obadiah who... Who's scared for his own life because he thinks that when he goes to talk tell Ahab that here's Elijah after they've looked for him every possible place they could imagine that he's going to get killed for making that announcement, and in the process he explains how that he's a good guy and I, and that's actually significant to to Elijah's depression. It seems at first as you're reading that it might not have anything to do. You're wondering why you're reading so much about it, but I think I think it does play into all of it, and and so he he reveals I'm a good guy and. and and Elijah assures him, I'm not going to disappear. And so the announcement's made. And then Ahab meets him, and they, they, they come to this idea of a contest. And the contest is, you get all the prophets of Baal and the prophets of the female version, Aserah, and, and you build an altar, get a bowl, put it on it, and I'll do the same thing, except we're not going to place fire under the altar. And they say, this is a great idea. We're going to do this. And so they meet at Mount Carmel. And for those of you, you know know the story. A, A lot of you probably know the story. It doesn't work for them. They spend all morning dancing, chanting, cutting themselves to no effect. Elijah taunts them and then builds his altar, arranges the wood, douses it with water three times until it's running out into the trench around the altar and then prays, and fire falls, convincing everyone that they were wrong, at least temporarily, and announces, it's a purge, we're going to kill them all, and so they they begin to to have this, this cleaning, a house cleaning, false worship is going to be exterminated, and then announces the rain, and tells Ahab to eat, and prays, and it rains, and then he I don't know if you're a runner, but I think Elijah must have set records. Supernaturally outran a chariot back to Jezreel. Does all of this, and it seems like he's waiting, you know. He's waiting to see what's going to happen after all this. And the message that comes is, you're a dead man. I don't think that's what he expected. But that's the story of how Elijah got to this point of wanting to kill himself in, in a chronological kind of way, and now we're going to talk a little bit about emotionally how he got him. more importantly, emotionally. The, the, these facts that we've just talked about did something inside of him. And the fact is, is that the reality of the apostasy of his country that was formed to serve the only true God had gotten to him. It was, it was rampant. And and he was the answer to this problem, or at least in part. And so there were very few people who cared about what God said and what was right in his eyes. And to be faithful to God made him out of sync with everyone everyone around him. Have you ever felt out of sync, out of step with the culture that you live in, like a stranger Like an alien, it's how the Bible describes us in different places. As strangers and aliens. And so that's us. And he very much felt that. And all this is true. The covenant, his answer was very true up to a certain point. They had forsaken the covenant. They had torn down the altars. They had killed the prophets. And that's what he was seeing. And it bothered him. He was not unmoved. And that's very important. He was very much disturbed. But there was a part that he would not allow himself to see or that he just couldn't see. And that has to do with the fact that he was not alone. He was not alone. And this is a very real part of missionary service. is that you can get very busy in ministry and very discouraged and you look around and you don't see anybody and you look around and you don't see anybody and the people who love you are far from you. And you can begin to think... That you're alone. Well, it's moments such as this one that for people like myself, I realize I'm not alone. I'm not alone. And you're not alone. It doesn't matter whether you're you're thousands of miles away from West Virginia. You can be alone right here in Daniels, West Virginia, right here in Beckley, West Virginia. You can be alone and surrounded by people. You can be very much alone because you're out of sync. But you're not. And that's the point. That's the whole point of Obadiah and these hiding of the prophets and and, and part of God's answer to him. 7,000 are there, Elijah. He was not the only zealous person on the planet. Great recipe for depression. Believe that you are. Because you're not. And... One thing that Elijah and all the prophets reveal is that true discipleship will cost you, friends. It will cost you and make you consistently uncomfortable in the world. It's very possible that the person who previously had little, if any, problems to speak of, after making a decision to follow Christ, to turn from their sin and embrace Christ and embrace His promises, will instantaneously have any enemies for the first time in their life enemies and it's 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 just not fun you know you think of the old chorus we're singing some old ones though none go with me still i will follow and we sing the song and we mean it but it doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt it hurts it does hurt we want to look around and say aren't you coming Are you coming? And some of you look at your family and you say, "Aren't you coming?" And they're not coming, and it hurts. And it hurts to be the only one. Well, you're not. (laughs) You're not the only one, and you're not the only one that that's happened to. Look around you. Look around you. This is wonderful. And I think sometimes we fail to realize it. You, You think you think Elijah in that moment would have liked to have a church family. You think that would have been cool to him? I love you, brother. Praying for you, brother. We're here for you. We're here for you. We're here for you. That would have meant a lot. But sometimes we despise it. We think, what is that all about, you know? And so church is important. And and he reveals something to us that it reveals a need that we have. In, in our own lives. Secondly, reasons for discouragement in his life, the efforts of God through him seem to have little, if any, reaching effect. And is it, is it not amazing that although people have many good reasons to accept the truth, they refuse to? You think about all that he had done and then to receive the death threat, the sweeping change wasn't coming. And he's thinking, okay, all right, I've been hiding out in, in, the, in the boonies. And now I've come back and everything happened exactly like I said it would. And the fire fell and there was this great, great evidence that the true God is Yahweh. And so they're going to get on board, right? No. No. Can you imagine what it would have been like for him... In the house of a widow. House of a widow. You know, we're talking about the importance of working in Sunday school. Talking about how it's important for a man to work. Can you imagine what he would have said to the neighbors while he was there? So, uh, you're new in the neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. What are you doing? Oh, (laughs) I'm waiting for God to send me back. Oh, really? So you're living with a widow... And you're waiting for God to send you back. That's a great plan. You know, you think that would have been comfortable? No, no, that's not comfortable. So in other words, he's going through all of this. He gets back and he thinks change is going to happen. And change doesn't really happen. It's just the same old thing. Ahab influenced by his wife is going to cave in and it's all going to go back exactly the way it was before. Frustrated. But what he could not see is that just because there wasn't this broad sweeping change, just because it didn't happen then, didn't mean that it's not ever going to happen. Do you think Elijah would have appreciated Revelation chapter 19? Do you think that would have meant something to him? To see the imagery of Jesus on a horse with a sword, with an army behind him coming in. And I know that you get frustrated with your culture, with with society, with all... All that, the, that are, where our country's headed. And we think, if we could just change it, if we could just turn it back, the only sure thing is, is that it's going to get worse. And we know that, but we want, it doesn't change the fact that we want to change it and we want to see things better, and that's a good thing. We want to hold back evil. But we need to know that, that even if all our wildest dreams come true, all our wildest Conservative dreams come true. Jesus is the only one who can bring the kingdom. He's the only one that can. And that's what Elijah needed to understand. Is what we need to understand, is that change in individual lives, such as some of those people who were standing around at that sacrifice, I believe were changed. Just because the, the great giant change didn't happen doesn't mean that that any changes didn't happen. You think that widow was changed? She said, Now I know that the words of God are in your mouth. She was convinced. People are in, affected by our lives, by our faithfulness. And that's the only thing that we really have control over. You and I can be faithful to the Lord, and that makes us faithful servants of God, but it doesn't make us, make us successful even by our own standards. But it does make us successful by God's standards, because we're faithful. That's what God calls us to, called us to, do, to be. And so Elijah's depressed because he didn't see the far-reaching effect that he had. Now, that's Elijah. That's his story. That's his emotional story. What about us? I want to say briefly that you may never be where Elijah was, and that's a bad thing. You're thinking, wait a minute. No, it's a bad thing. Elijah was where he was because he fully understood God's plan. And he truly cared, and he tried to do something about it, and he got frustrated doing something good. But I fear that many people are exhausting themselves in this purposeless rat race, not really doing anything, not really understanding why they are here, and they're ruining themselves, they're ruining their lives but with no clear purpose. In other words, you think about the people, the very successful people, if that question came to them, what are you doing here? And they would just shrug their shoulders and look at you strangely for asking the question. But God asked the question, and they don't have an answer. Elijah at least had an answer. I'm serving the Lord. And these things have happened. I don't know if you can say that in a true sense this morning. That's something that all of us need to be able to say. I am serving the Lord. I am where I am at because I know, based on God's word, this is his plan for me. I know that I am doing what God has called me to do. And it's it's just not easy. Okay? Some people will never be where Elijah was simply because they have no clue as to what God's purpose is for their life. And it very well could be that that's you this morning. You're in the right place. Because God, through His Word, can communicate to you, as He has us, this is the way, this is His purpose. He loves you. He loves you. He died for you. And He wants to include you in His plan. And that's a wonderful thing. The sad thing is, is that just because, just because you're a Christian, doesn't mean that... You don't get depressed. And the things aren't discouraging. And so you may never be where Elijah was. But I'm inviting you to at least, in that first initial sense, be in the same battle that Elijah was in. The true battle that exists in this world. For right, for truth. Serving the the true God. And you may never be where Elijah is was because you've decided to remain emotionally detached. And this is another aspect really of the same thing, is that it's it's very possible for people to be a part of a local church, but to make a decision somewhere along the line that that they're just going to walk in, sit, get up, leave, go to the car, and, and not really have anything to do with anybody else. Because that's I mean, let's face it, there's, church people are weird, you know. And so, and so you know, just, just kind of isolate yourself and not really get involved because it's messy and they might actually ask, ask you to do something, you know. And that might be really uncomfortable. So, message, car. But what does the Bible say? By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Well, that's obviously something different than just those things, emotionally detached, will keep you from serious depression, but it will also place you in the category of a disobedient person, because God calls us to be emotionally involved in what we're doing. And you might get to the same place as Elijah, but for all the wrong reasons. As you well know, there are plenty of people in this world that are depressed, and but for all the wrong reasons. You think about Ahab. For those of you who know the story, he got depressed too. Naboth had a, a vineyard that he wanted and wouldn't sell it to him. And so what did he do to solve his depression? His wife killed him for him. So, I mean, that's, that's, not, a, that's, not, a, that's not a strategy that, that we can use to get out of depression, is it, right? But a lot of people have similar kinds of strategies. He's in my way. I'm getting him out of the way. This is not, this is not making me happy. Out of the way. Out of the way. Whatever it takes, you know? And, but there's lots of people who are wandering through this life, and they are seriously depressed. There's no, there's no free ticket, so to speak. You might be where Elijah is because of the same reasons, just, just that possibility. You could be here, and you are doing what's right. You are very much involved. You very much care. What hurts God's heart hurts your heart, and you're very involved. And if that's you this morning, I think we need to to really pay attention to what God says to Elijah as as he answers his question. He shows him a new perspective of himself. Now, I'm not sure what to make of all the where God wasn't. But if you think about the kind of ministry that Elijah had, this spectacular ministry with these profound movements of God, you know, the flames and everything... It is kind of interesting that he says, and there was wind and the breaking of the mountains, and he wasn't there. And then there was an earthquake, and he wasn't there. And then the fire, and he wasn't there. Where was he? In the gentle voice, in the gentle blowing. And so God reveals himself to Elijah in a special way and desires to be known. And so God reveals himself to Elijah, and that very well could be where you're at this morning. You need to rest. You need to seek God. And God... Uh, helps you through those means. And God entrusts him with a new mission and shows him that he was not alone and that he needed to go back. He needed to go back. I am a runner. I have that in common with Elijah. And most of my routes are drive my car to this trail, run, normally uphill for somewhere around 30 minutes, turn around, and come back and there's some variation but but that's that's what I do when I'm around trails like the ones that you have and and but it's really important that point about turning around and coming back just suggest that like Elijah many of you might be running you know the truth I don't have to convince you of the truth of uh, the things that I've shared or It's nothing new. You you fully understand God's purpose. But because of the knocks, because of the trouble, because of the difficult things that are very real in your life, you've gotten off the path. You've you've deviated. And, so to speak, you're still running. You're still running, just like Elijah was. When I'm running, I know I need to turn back. Why do I need to turn back? Well, if I don't, I'm going to (laughs) die. You gotta go back. You gotta go back. You gotta get back to the car. You gotta remember where the car is. Because that's the vehicle that connects you with every other important part of your life. And it's the same way with God. God is far more than a vehicle. Okay? He's not, He's not our servant. Okay? But being connected with God brings meaning to our life. It's, it's through our connection to Him that gives us meaning that shapes the purpose of our life without that we're off in the woods somewhere wandering i would just like to suggest to you that there are men who understand what god has called them to be in their home they understand it they're just they and they did it but now they're running from it this you can take this morning i'm calling you to go back you need to go back there are women here That fully understand who they are in the home or who they should be in the home, and perhaps who they were at one time. When you think about Elijah, you need to go back. You need to leave the cave. It's time to leave. It's time to allow God to to build in you and equip you to go back and face the hard reality of serving God in your home. Many other examples. But the, the main thing is that we need to go back. We need to be willing to embrace God's purpose in our lives. And I hope that you've been challenged in that to that end this morning. I invite you to stand with me and let's, let's pray. As you're doing so, perhaps this morning you've heard for the first time that question, what are you doing here? And... You honestly say, I really don't have an answer. I've never really thought about that. I would suggest to you that there are lots of competent people around you. And if, if you're here and you don't know anybody, I welcome you to, to talk to me. There's Pastor Carl. We'd be happy to talk to you and, and get you on the path to that end. Let's pray together. Lord, we're grateful for, for your word, for, for this story true story of Elijah and what he faced and how you comforted him. Lord, we confess that we need comfort. We're not not as strong as we imagine ourselves to be, Lord. I pray for that person that is near their end. Perhaps this morning, they're like Elijah was, sitting underneath the tree, wishing for death. Lord, I pray that you'd help that person. You'd help that person to get help. Build hope in that person, Lord. May your word, your spirit uh, show to them the hope that is in you, Lord. And we thank you for the way that you minister to us, the way that you've helped us, Lord. Help us to be able to help others. And, uh, Lord, we just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.